Nothing like a wee bit of the pipes to get the Scottish in you going. Oh, I like that. That was a great version of Amazing Grace. Reading from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind, or how a body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God the maker of all things. So your seed in the morning and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Father God, teach us from your word, we pray. Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes is about perspective, and to that end I have a little story to share. You may remember a series of books and movies about a boy wizard named Harry Potter who grows up to save the world from the evil wizard, Lord Voldemort. Well, these books captured the world by storm and they're still the favorite books of millions of people worldwide. As of June 2011, the book series had sold about 450 million copies making it the best-selling book series in history. It had been translated into 67 languages. The last four books consecutively set records as the fastest-selling books in history. If you remember all the hubbub surrounding these books, you might think that no one was reading anything else. But I want to share with you some information that may put a bit of perspective on those numbers. The Gideons International is a global Bible distributing society that takes place in over 195 countries in at least 94 languages. Over 84 million scriptures were given out in 2012 alone. More than 1.7 billion have been distributed since the Gideons started. On average, more than two copies of the Bible are distributed per second through the Gideons International. And that's just the Gideons. Biblica, the former International Bible Society, has provided more than 650 million scripture pieces around the world in its 200-year history. Its primary translation, the New International Version, has over 350 million copies in print. In addition, Biblica's Scripture Online access to God's Word in 26 languages, with over 85 million people using it per month. And the Bible just happens to be the number one book stolen in bookstores. It's true. A little bit of perspective there, isn't it? 
Ecclesiastes is also about the fleeting value of material things. A while ago, I saw something that may or may not surprise you. I saw the heart of a computer. The central processing unit, the CPU, the big chip through which all data flows at some point or other. It's not flashy, it's just a tiny gray square, one inch by one inch, about a quarter inch thick, with little metal pegs on the bottom to fit into the socket and the computer's motherboard. Now that's not the part that I thought would surprise you. Most of us maybe have seen the thing ourselves or would care less to. What might surprise you is where I saw it. This piece of technology, which could rival the calculating ability of an entire floor of office workers less than a century ago, which was more powerful than the computers aboard the lunar lander that went to the moon, landed, came up from the moon, and came back again, which costs thousands of dollars when it was released not so long ago, and which had processed more information than we will ever read on a daily basis, was being sold for the whopping price of $1 at the Salvation Army thrift store. And they had three more just like it. You could have got all four for a toonie. I think these verses say it all. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where computer hardware becomes bathroom tile in five years. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And finally, and this is where my particular message begins, those were just stories I just had to tell since we were talking about Ecclesiastes. Where my particular message actually begins, Ecclesiastes is about putting faith into action. Yesterday, I had a faith put into action moment. I've been working on finding a particular geocache that is very tricky to find. If you don't know what I'm talking about, geocaching is a hobby where you go and try and find these hidden boxes of Tupperware in the woods, in the rocks, on trails. Some of them are underwater, not many around here. Um, and you have GPS. Uh, coordinates to help you find them and you use a GPS to go and find them this sort of thing it's quite the fun hobby it's technology that gets you off the couch there's one way to put it now to find this one what you have to do is take one location in town on the map and draw a circle that is exactly 697 meters around that location it can't vary on any part of the circle. You then have to take another location that's in town and draw a circle that's exactly 907 meters around. Can't vary one meter around that whole circle. And then the circles overlap. Now, the location of the cache is exactly where the circles overlap. But guess what? They overlap in two places, not just one. So you also have to go to the plaque 
that is in front of our big flinty statue at the park and draw a line that's 314 degrees true north from the plaque at the base of the flinty statue. And the cache itself, the geocache, is located at the overlapping location of the circles that also lies on the line you've just drawn. It's not particularly easy to find. So I put myself to work. Tried as best I could to follow the instructions to find it and ended up with a point on the map that I could walk to and hopefully find the geocache. Now if I had doubted myself and just left it alone thinking, ah, couldn't be, I would have never found the cache. But instead I put my faith, I put faith in my work and went out looking for this geocache. And guess what? I found it. The spot I had plotted on the computer ended up being within 25 feet of the actual location of this geocache. The faith I placed in my work paid off and I was tickled pink to count this as one of the geocaches I have found. Faith worked, but only because I worked it. If I said I had faith in my work but hadn't bothered to act on it, I'd have nothing to show for it. The passage here I read this morning, Cast Your Bread Upon the Waters, is about us acting out in faith. Not faith in ourselves, faith in God. And the first two verses here are simply about acting out in faith and seeing what God will bring about when we trust Him. Casting bread upon the waters is an analogy of acting out in faith. So is serving seven, even eight portions, before our chance to serve any is gone. Let's look first at this throwing bread on water. It sounds a bit ridiculous when you think about it. Take a perfectly good piece of bread and toss it in the river so that it'll float wherever the river takes it. When we see, well, when I see a perfectly good piece of bread, I want to eat it. Or maybe store it away for later. Tossing it in the creek seems wasteful. It seems rather silly. So why are we being told to do it? Faith can seem silly at times. That's why. And we have to get past the reaction of, well, that's silly. If we're going to understand what faith really is. The imagery of the bread is used to show us that the act of faith may appear silly to those who observe it, but it's still the right thing to do. Not that we have a silly faith, mind you. There's plenty of people that would try to convince you that if you have enough faith and enough money to donate, that they can do anything with your faith. They can get you more money. They can get you healing and happiness and companionship. And on and on it goes. They treat faith like coins that we pop into God's cosmic pot machine. Put enough in and select the flavor you like. On top of being wrong, that kind of teaching is just plain silly. Faith is trusting God to act on our behalf. 
not getting him to do our bidding as we please him to do. Faith is putting our lives in his care, not paying him enough lip service to get what we want out of him. Faith is trusting that he will see us through hard times, not paying him to avoid hard times. All of the above can seem silly to those who do not want to live lives of faith because they're used to getting things done by themselves. But to the believer in God, these things are at the core of our faith. And to understand and live faith, we must be willing to do them. The picture of the bread on the waters also shows that faith is truly out of our hands. When we do act in faith, we're putting God in control, just like the waters are in control of where that bread ends up. If a bird swoops down and eats it, or a fish swims up and eats it, so be it. If it becomes so saturated with water that it sinks out of sight, so be it. If it is carried downstream beyond what we can see, so be it. When we act in faith, we may be disappointed in the results. We may see our act go unnoticed. It may get lost in the busyness of our lives. It may be misunderstood or questioned. It may be consumed by forces that want more and more. It may simply drift away, causing us to think that we'll never see it again. So be it. When we act in faith, we must truly, 100%, leave our act of faith in the hands of God we put our faith in. Anything less isn't faith. The promise within these verses is that our faith will not be for nothing. Every time we trust God and act on that trust, our faith makes waves that create effects far more reaching than we can understand. So we're being called to act in faith, even when it seems silly to those around us. The other half of these two verses is telling us to act in faith while we still can. When we stall in our faith, we we let precious time slip away. Time that we just don't know if we'll get back again. When I look back at mistakes I've made, and I've made a few, especially when I've waited too long to do the right thing, I wonder what I've lost because I didn't trust God in the first place. These aren't very constructive thoughts, but I still get them. When we let time slip away, we open ourselves up to this kind of regret. And pretty soon we can spend all our time wondering what could have been instead of finding out what can be right here and now. Giving seven or eight portions is a demonstration of generosity. And generosity takes faith. We don't always know if what we share will come back to us. We share because we trust God will provide more to share. If we hold on to all we have so tight that nothing slips out, we demonstrate a lack of faith 
in God to take care of us. We also miss out on so much of what we could have if we just loosen our grip on what we do have. The example in the verse is about generosity, but it really includes any act of faith. And it's saying that the time for faith is now. Faith is about something that needs to be done. Faith is something, pardon me, that needs to be done. Talking about it is fine, and learning about it is fine. But it's not faith until it's done. That's why an action here is used as an example. The casting of the bread is definitely an action undertaken, and so is the sharing of meals. We can talk about faith like it's a noun, something to be sought and bought and stored. But it's not. It's a verb. It's something to be done. The next two verses, verses 3 and 4, complement the first two, addressing how both the results of faith are out of our hands and also the risks of waiting around, doing nothing rather than living a life of faith. Verse 3 uses examples from nature to reinforce the fact that the results of our acts of faith are truly out of our hands. As the bread drifts out of our control, so do the clouds rain when they're ready, and the trees fall where they do. It sounds a bit fatalistic. What happens, happens. But to read it that way is to read it out of context with the rest of the passage. A better way to read it is that when we act out in faith, God happens. We do not try to exercise control over Him any more than we control the rains or the falling of the trees outside of logging, of course. We act in faith and trust that God knows what He's doing is best. We trust that God will do what He knows is best. The fourth verse reinforces the fact that faith is in action. Both of the clauses here are about daydreamers who would rather watch the weather than work out in the fields. I have to be a bit careful here. I'm a daydreamer. Daydreaming on its own is no crime, but in the context of faith, daydreaming about what faith could do is no substitute for acting out in faith in God. We do not need to talk about it. Pardon me, that's wrong. We do need to talk about it. We do need to think about it and even dream about it. But to become real, we must do faith. Talk, think, and dream for sure. But to become real, it has to be done. Faith has to be done. Standing in the fields, leaning on our shovels and watching the rain come will not get those crops planted. And talk alone is no replacement for what? And then finally, the last two verses amplify the message of the first two, using mysteries that we still do not fully comprehend. In verse 5, the path of the wind and the formation of the unborn child are used as examples of things that are real despite our not understanding them. The wind will blow no matter how much or little we understand it. We can track wind, use wind, and even somewhat predict wind, but we still have so much to learn about it. 
Babies will grow inside their mothers no matter how much or little we know about the process. We know a lot more than the first readers of this passage do. But there's still so much more to understand. So too with faith. Faith will create and sustain and do things we cannot even begin to understand. Faith is as real as weather and children, and we must act in faith no matter how little we understand it. And verse 6 is a final call to keep acting in faith. Be faithful in the morning. Be faithful in the evening. We never know when faith will bear fruit. To wrap this up, I want to share a little bit about the work this church does in faith and how I believe we're casting our bread upon the waters. We can start with the example of the school lunches that get served in the late spring. If that's not an example of casting bread upon the water, what is? And we're not just serving up seven or eight portions, sometimes it's over 75. And we do this to show the kids coming that they are loved and that Christians can share with them just because we love them enough to do it. We don't know if they're going to remember with gratitude or just come and fill up. But we act in faith that God will use this generosity to work in these kids' lives. And then how about the Christmas boxes we fill up with treasures for children and teachers overseas? We don't know the kids who are going to get these boxes, but we act out in faith by filling these boxes and sending them on their way. And how about these prayer shawls that ladies knit in faith that someone will be blessed by receiving one? I know firsthand that people are being blessed by them. They're made in faith with prayer in every stitch. And God hears those prayers and blesses the makers and the receivers. I could go on, but I'll wrap it up there. I know that this church is acting out in faith, not always knowing what God is going to do, but trusting Him anyway. One final question. Is there something that you need to do in faith and see what God will do. If there is, and I'm pretty sure there is, I'll leave you with these words. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Let's pray. Father God, faith can be so easy at times, and it can be so hard at times. But we place our faith in you. And if we don't, help us in our lack of faith to have more. And if we do, help us to act on it and see what you're ready to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We trust you, Lord. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.